Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, without further ado, let's start the show. This is the Raw, NXT, and SmackDown after Backlash. So we start with Monday Night Raw here. Raw, Cody Rhodes will come out to the ring. Cody's in gear. Cody would talk about his match that he had at Backlash with Brock Lesnar, talk about what he discovered from it, and it's that Brock Lesnar can be defeated. And now with Brock Lesnar hopefully out of Cody's eyesight now, Cody will now be putting all of his focus into winning the World Heavyweight Championship since he is a part of this World Heavyweight Championship tournament. Now, Cody would walk over to the championship and show off the brackets for this tournament. In the tournament, you will have Cody going against The Miz, going against Finn in one of the quarterfinals. Uh, the other quarterfinals for the side of Raw will be Seth Rollins going against Damian Priest, going against Shinsuke Nakamura for the Raw side. SmackDown's quarterfinals, you will have AJ Styles going against Edge, going against Rey Mysterio, and Bobby Lashley going against Sheamus, going against Austin Theory. Now, Cody would announce for the tournament to begin, so we get the first quarterfinals matchup happening. Shensuke Nakamura going against Seth Rollins, going against Damian Priest. Seth Rollins would win this match by pinfall, when Nakamura had Damian Priest in the ankle lock, and it looked as Priest was going to tap out, but Seth would come off the top rope with a frog splash onto Nakamura, then pick up Nak and hit him with a pedigree for the win. So Seth Rollins would advance to the semifinals of the Raw side of the tournament, which would take place in the main event. Now, after this, we have Mustafa Ali going against Otis with Chad Gable and Maxine Dupree in his corner. Mustafa Ali would win the match by pinfall when Mustafa was down on the mat and Otis was looking to hit the Caterpillar. But Maxine Dupree would get on the apron and tell him not to do it. Chad Gable would get on the ring apron and tell Otis to do it. So we now have an argument between Chad Gable and Maxine Dupree. Otis will look confused on who to listen to, and this will allow Mustafa Ali to get to his feet. Otis would see him run towards Ali. Mustafa will move out of the way. Otis would ram his shoulder into the ring post, and this would knock Otis to the mat. Mustafa Ali would go to the top turnbuckle, hit him with the 450 splash to win the match. After this, we have the other quarterfinals match for the World Heavyweight Championship on Raw side. Cody going against The Miz, going against Finn Balor. Finn would win the match by pinfall thanks to Brock Lesnar. Cody would hit Finn with the crossroads. Miz would get into the ring, throw Cody Rhodes outside of the ring. Cody would land on his feet as the Miz was covering Finn. Cody would run over, grab the Miz, hit him with not one, not two, but three crossroads. I think that was overkill because the Miz is only worth one crossroads at this present moment in his uh, character, at least in my opinion. Uh, he isn't with three crossroads. He goes to pin the Miz, but Brock Lesnar would appear and pull Cody out of the ring and hit Cody with an F5 on the floor outside. Finn Balor would get up and hit Miz with a coup de grace to pin Miz and win the match up here. So Finn will be facing Seth Rollins in the main event of the semifinals for the Raw side for the World Heavyweight Championship. Now, after this matchup, we would get Brock outside of the ring, picking Cody up hitting him with another F5, but this time it's through the commentator's table. Brock will get a microphone and talk to Cody. Now, Brock is here sporting a 
a black eye, and he has stitches in the middle of his face because at Backlash, Brock ran into an exposed uh, turnbuckle, so he bled in that match with Cody, so he had to get stitched up. Brock is a worse for the wears here. Something that we haven't seen Brock in a long time at WWE, to be honest with you. Him getting, like, bruised up in the face. Uh, Cody would be down on the mat, well, outside, and Brock would grab Cody and tell him to look at his face, and he would yell at Cody saying that he got lucky in their match at Backlash, so Brock is out here to throw out a challenge to Cody for a fight at Night of Champions. Now, later in the night, Cody would accept that challenge, so we have that match made official. Cody Rhodes going against Brock Lesnar at Night of Champions. Now, after this, we would have the SmackDown Women's Champion, Rhea Ripley, with Dominic Mysterio in her corner, going against Dana Brooke. Rhea would win this match by submission by hitting uh, first the Riptide, then locking in the Prism Trap, which is a reverse uh, Texas Cloverleaf, on Dana Brooke to make Dana tap out. After the match, Dominic would get in the ring, hand Rhea Ripley her championship. Rhea would raise up the championship in the air, and it looks as Rhea was going to walk out of the ring. But Rhea would look at Dana Brooke on the ground, and Rhea would look back at Dom and hand Dominic her championship. Then go back to Dana Brooke, hit her with Riptide again, and then lock in again the Prism Trap. Now, Rhea wouldn't let go of the submission until Natalia's music would hit and Natalia would walk to the ring. Now, once Natalia got in the ring, Rhea would let go of the submission. Uh, Natalia would have a stare down with Rhea Ripley. Dominic would whisper something into Rhea's ears and you would see Dominic and Rhea leave the ring. So it seems that Rhea Ripley is going to have a uh, rivalry with Natalia here. I don't know how to truly feel about this. It just feels like, OK, this is where we're going with this. but. Alright, it's better than nothing for uh, Rhea right now, and it also gives Natalia some exposure back on TV, because Natalia is the longest tenure uh, female on their roster, and they need for her to do something, at least to, uh, if anything, she can still help out in some way and capacity, and I think her having a match with Rhea Ripley could still help out Rhea, as they still try to find who they want to have Rhea to have in a storyline uh, match. Well, rivalry, if you will, because right now they really don't got nobody because Rhea's just really like stuck with Dominic and the rest of Judgment Day. So she hasn't had that real like hallmark type of rivalry yet. It's real, real confusing who they really want to throw her in with. So right now this they're just using this time with Natalia to kind of fill in that hole and they're trying to find who is the perfect person for Rhea to be in a rivalry with. At least that's what I'm thinking right now. That's the reason why we have Natalia going against Rhea Ripley here. But this is where we're at. Now, after this, we have the tag team matchup here. The undisputed tag team champions, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, going against Imperiums, Giovanni Vinci, and Ludwig Kaiser. Sami and Kevin Owens would win the match by pinfall, when Sami would hit Giovanni Vinci with the Haluva kick for the win. Solid tag match. After this, we had Nikki Cross going against Raw debuting, Zoe Stark. Zoe Stark would win the match by pinfall by hitting the Z360 for the win. Again, solid match. Zoe Stark's here on Monday Night Raw. She got drafted from NXT to Raw here. So they gave her a match up here just to let everybody know who she is and what she can do in the ring. And it was solid. So it also gives Zoe her first win on Raw. So I'm not mad at that. Um, after this, we have Trish Stratus coming down to the ring. Trish would be wearing a missing uh, Becky Lynch 
t-shirt and Trish would be so condescending talking about Becky and her whereabouts saying that Becky's probably somewhere with her dumb daughter and the fans were booing Trish when she said this but Trish would say listen she's she's not smart she's dumb she's a two-year-old so that's kind of giving Trish some leeway here but again you don't talk about somebody's kids so you know there's probably some uh comeuppance coming her way uh Trish would say that when Becky is found Becky isn't going to come back to steal Trish's spotlight because Raw is Trish's show. Becky's music would hit. The fans will look at the ramp, thinking Becky's going to come down the ramp. Trish would laugh because she pulled a fast one on the fans. Becky isn't coming out here. Uh, Trish would try to tell a story, but Becky's music would again hit. But this time, Becky Lynch did appear, but this time it was behind Trish Stratus. Once Trish turned around, Becky would hit Trish in the throat then hit Trish with a T-bone suplex, and then Trish would roll out of the ring. Becky would get a mic and say that she's here, and she's back to kick Trish's ass. So now we're back on the road of Becky and Trish Stratus here. They didn't have this magic backlash. They saved it up. They still got some time into going SummerSlam. I think they're probably going to wait a little bit more time here. When they're going to have their match of these two going against each other, I don't know. People say it's going to be SummerSlam. I don't think that. I don't think they got enough drawing power to wait that out to SummerSlam, personally. I think their first match is probably going to be at mm, probably Money in the Bank, if I'm going to be honest with you, somewhere down the line on that, because I don't think you're going to have either Trish or Becky going into that Women's Money in the Bank ladder match. So if it's my best bet, I think we're probably going to get Becky going against Trish at Money in the Bank, but time will tell, and we still got time for this. Um, after this, we have Xavier Woods going against Dominic Mysterio with Rhea Ripley in his corner. Dominic would win the match by pinfall thanks to Rhea Ripley. When Xavier was looking to hit Dominic with his elbow drop, Rhea would pull Dominic out of the ring. Xavier would hit the mat. Dominic would roll into the ring and roll up Xavier for the win. So Dominic got a win over Xavier Woods here. Now we go off to the main event. It is the semifinals for the World Heavyweight Championship Tournament for the Raw side of this tournament. We have Seth Rollins going against Finn Balor. Seth would win the match by pinfall by hitting two curb stomps. Now this one was really clever how they did it. Seth would go for the first curb stomp, but he would miss because Finn would move out of the way. Uh, Finn would get Seth in a roll-up. Seth would roll out of that roll-up and he would just basically stomp Finn's face in like directly so aka Finn's face actually met Seth's foot and he got stomped to the mat so then once Finn recovers himself and he's basically looking at the mat he's on all fours Seth would then hit uh, Finn with the second curb stomp cover him to win the match so Seth is now in the finals for the Raw uh, World Heavyweight Championship and he'd be going off to the Night of Champions to face whoever is on the SmackDown side. Now, there was a callback in this matchup from Seth and Finn from their match in 2016 at SummerSlam where Seth injured Finn by buckle-bombing him outside of the ring, like, onto the barricade. Finn, this time, will do that to Seth, and when he did it to Seth, you just see Finn walk over to Seth and ask him, how do you like it? How does that feel? So, I like that they did that call back, and I know that Finn and Seth have had matches before. They just never ever did it. Uh, that call back here, they always like hinted at it when Seth would try to do it again to Finn outside of the ring, but this time it was the other way around, and he executed it, and they did it for a purpose because this match is for a 
newly uh, coveted or coveted World Heavyweight Championship the same way that when they went against each other for the first time ever, it was at SummerSlam for the newly uh, unveiled Universal Championship. So again, I like the way that they did that here. I like the way that they made that move really important here. But Seth winning was already predetermined. We already knew that was going to happen because Seth has been eyeing and gawking at that World Heavyweight Championship for the past, what, week or so now since that thing has been like unveiled. So it was already predestined. So we just have to wait and see who would uh, be facing Seth. And I'll get to that when I talk about SmackDown. But with that, that is your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, moving over to NXT, we would have our NXT Women's Championship Tournament uh, being announced at the beginning of the show, and it would have the competitors listed for said tournament. In the tournament, we have Tiffany Stratton going against Gigi Dolan, Roxanne Perez going against JC Jane, Kiana James going against Lyra Valkyria, and Fallon Henley going against Cora Jade. We will only get Tiffany Stratton going against Gigi Jane, and also Kiana James going against Lyra Valkyria happening tonight. Um, next week on NXT, we will have Roxanne Perez going against JC Jane and Cora Jade going against Fallon Henley to fill out the rest of the tournament uh, quarterfinals next week. So to start off NXT, the first match would be Tiffany Stratton going against Gigi Dolan in the quarterfinals of the NXT Women's Championship Tournament. Tiffany would win the match by pinfall by hitting the prettiest moonsault ever, so they finally named it. And to be honest, that name actually does work with the Tiffany Stratton character because it's all about me, 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 the daddy, uh, former daddy, rich girl uh, persona has now transformed into, hey, the spotlight, everything's on on Tiffany. So naming it the prettiest moonsault ever, it works, but Tiffany would advance to the semifinals of the NXT Women's Championship Tournament. Next matchup would be for the NXT Tag Team Championships. It will be Gallus defending the championships against the Dyad. Gallus would have Joe Coffey in their corner. The Dyad would have Ava Rain in their corner. Gallus would retain their tag team titles by pinfall thanks to interference from Ivy Now. When the Dyad were going to hit a double code breaker on Wolfgang, Ivy Now would appear and attack Ava Rain. This all resulted from Ava interfering in the match earlier. So Ivy now just came out and attacked Ava and it also kind of kind of harkened back to last week whenever uh Joe Gacy won his match from uh Joe Coffey and Ava Rain kind of interfered in that and we had a backstage situation where Ivy now said that she was tired of uh Ava just interfering. So basically we're picking up from that situation that happened last week here. So Ivy would come down there, attack Ava Rain, the Creed brothers would come out and pull Ivy off of Ava. James Drake would look after Ava Rain after the situation, leaving Zach Gibson in the ring, and he would eat a Gallus tag finish called Gallo uh, Gates, which is an airplane spin slash running knee strike combo for the win, so Gallus would retain their tag team championships. Now, it was mentioned that next week on NXT, it will be the Dyad going against the Creeds, more likely because of this situation that happened here. Now, after this, the next matchup would be Duke Hudson going against Javier Bernal. Duke would win the match by pinfall when he would hit the Razor's Edge for the win. Duke Hudson, he has taken over uh, Chase U since Andre Chase has not been back on TV since he's lost to uh, Braun Breaker. So Duke Hudson has basically just been running Chase U, and he almost slipped up by calling it Duke University, but he just stopped at the Duke, and then he had a reverb it back and say chase you so you could tell that duke hudson's trying to take over uh chase you here that's his whole big master grand plan since andre's not here and 
it's going to get to a point that Duke Cousins is going to try to take it over. We all know it's coming. But then we're going to get Andre Chase coming back here to beat up on Duke Hudson. That's when we're finally going to get Duke Hudson going against Andre Chase. At least that's where I think they're headed along with this uh, story between Duke and Andre Chase here. Now, after this, we get the match of Eddie Thorpe going against Damon Kemp. They kind of been building up on this for, what, a good couple weeks here with every time Damon would just interact with Eddie. He always felt that Eddie was below him, even though Eddie Thorpe has years of ring skills under his belt and Damon Kemp he's just an amateur wrestler but he transitioned over into wrestling he feels that he could just big league him so we finally get this match up here Eddie would win the match by pinfall when Eddie would hit Damon Kemp with a big boot then deliver a running elbow drop for the win so Eddie Thorpe has beaten Damon Kemp now after this we would get Ilya Dragunov going against Dijak Ilya would win the match by disqualification when Dijak would attack Ilya with the chair and the referee would call for the bell. Now, once the bell rang, Dijak would continue to attack Ilya with the chair and he would chokeslam Ilya on the ring apron. Dijak would then put the steel steps on Ilya and stand on it. So we're still having this conversation with Ilya and Dijak and you can tell that we're going to get somewhere into a no disqualification type of uh, matchup with Ilya and Dijak because they were just swinging at each other. They're nothing but hard-hitting competitors, and that's basically what we're going to get to. Either we're going to get a no disqualification matchup here, and this weapon is being allowed, or we're just going to get a regular standard one-on-one match where the stipulation is is still you cannot win by disqualification. So either way, I know it sounds funky, but I can see them pulling it off because again, NXT they like to be creative with a lot of things. So I can see them pulling off that type of situation with Dijak and Ilya. Either way, just know that Ilya and Dijak are still going with their rivalry here. It's not ending after that matchup. Believe that. Now, after this, we have Tyler Bate with the North American champion, Wesley in his corner, going against Charlie Dempsey, who had Drew Gulak in his corner. Charlie Dempsey would win the match by pinfall thanks to Joe Gacy's interference. Joe Gacy would come down to the ring and confront Wesley, Drew Gulak will walk over to them, and now Wes will be stuck in between both Joe Gacy and Drew Gulak, and he will question why are they around him. So this will lead to Tyler Bates seeing what's going on outside of the ring, and he will decide to interfere when he would jump the ropes and land on both Joe Gacy and Drew Gulak. Now once he does this, he goes right back into the ring, and he starts fighting again with Charlie Dempsey continuing their matchup. Drew Gulak will get on the ring apron, and... Again, Tyler Bate will see this. He will pop Drew Gulak, and Drew would drop off the ring apron. Now, Tyler Bate would try to go for his little rebound uh, clothesline that he does on the ropes, and when he pops his neck onto the ropes, Joe Gacy would jump up and hit Tyler Bate in the head, and this would allow Charlie Dempsey to grab Tyler Bate and hit him with a dragon suplex to win the matchup here. So it seems that Joe Gacy is going after the North American Championship here. This is why he came down there, and you can tell that Tyler Bate wants a shot at the North American Championship because he had his eye on it last week whenever he lifted up Wes's arm in victory. So right now we have a situation where I can see them going to have a number one uh, contenders match for the North American Championship, whether it be uh, Tyler Bate going against a Joe Gacy, going against a Charlie Dempsey, winner goes against Wes Lee at Battleground, or Wes might try to go balls to walls again and have a fatal four-way match and put all three of those men in that match for that North American Championship. I can see Wes doing it because he already did it at Stand and Deliver, and this seems like up Wes's alley, but 
we'll have to wait and see on next week's episode of NXT. Now, after that, we move on to our tag team matchup here of Josh Briggs and Brooks Jensen with Fallon Henley in their corner going against Hank Walker and Tank Ledger. Briggs and Jensen would win the match by pinfall by hitting a heart attack on Tank Ledger to win the match up here. Now, during the match, Tank would lose a tooth by eating a big boot to the face from Josh Briggs, and they would have to show it in the replay to let everybody see that, oh yeah, Tank really did lose a tooth. So this does give people clarification. Wrestling, yes, it is predetermined. However, you can lose a tooth in there, even though they are trained professionals and they know how to uh, pull back on certain punches or kicks. There will be times where you might lose a tooth or you might even uh, chip a tooth. So this match right here solidified it. You can again tell where they want to go with Hank Walker and Tank Ledger here. They want to put these two guys as a tag team. I said that whenever Tank Ledger had his match on NXT when he debuted against Joe Coffey. I said, okay, put Hank and him as a team. You can see where they wanted to go. So now they're doing it. And I'm not mad at it because they showed aggression against Briggs and Jensen. And I like to see that aggression that uh, we were lacking in the tag team division for some time now. Just seeing big dudes going against another big dude team. And you see that aggression. That is a wonderful thing. And hopefully they continue on with that more and more. And hopefully it goes up. To the main roster. Now, after this, we get to the quarterfinals of the women's championship tournament. It'll be Kiana James going against Lyra Valkyria. Lyra would win the match by pinfall by landing on her feet after Kiana tried to hit her with a back suplex. And then Lyra would hit Kiana with a spinning heel kick for the win. Now Lyra advances to the semifinals of the women's championship tournament. Solid match between Kiana James and Lyra Valkyria here. I feel that this was more of a uh show out situation for Kiana James we all know that they have some like plans in the works for Lyra Valkyria down the line you can see that they want to have her in that championship or space for Kiana James I feel that they just want to give everybody a more focused look on Kiana personally and I'm not mad at it Kiana was actually able to pull off some power moves against Lyra here and again for people that are sleeping on Kiana James you probably shouldn't because again We'll mess around and find out. She could literally be the Dolph Ziggler of the NXT Women's Division. I don't mean to say that in a bad way because Dolph has made this abundantly clear. You can put him in any position, beginning of the card, uh, middle of the card, or even at the end of the card, and that will not phase anybody in the slightest because you could put him anywhere and he just works. Kiana James, I feel that down the line, she's going to be one of those players that you could put her anywhere and she will work. And people won't flinch an eyeball at it. So I like that if they continue on this pathway with Kiana James, I like that that might be the way that they might be wanting to go with her. But again, Lyra advances to the semifinals of the Women's Championship Tournament. And it was a solid match between both of these ladies here. Now we go off to the main event. Trick Williams going against Braun Breaker. Braun would win the match by submission by hitting Trick with a spear, then locking in the Steiner recliner. Now, this was a solid match for Trick Williams. We know what Braun Breaker is here to do. He's here to beat up on uh, Trick to further antagonize Carmelo Hayes. Uh, Trick's out here to try to get revenge on Braun for, one, putting uh, Melo in the hospital and injuring his dude, and secondly, for attacking him in the process. And third, this is Trick's like way of like showcasing himself without having Melo just around him in uh, his corner. And Trick, he did a great match with uh, Braun here. He was actually able to pull off some moves. We actually got to see him do some things by himself, and he actually looks competent in the ring, and I don't mean to say that in a bad way. I mean to say that in a good way, because we don't really get to see 
trick in the ring by himself, at least on NXT television. He might be wrestling on Level Up. I don't really get to watch Level Up like that, but on the television for USA Network, we don't get to see Trick out here by himself. So for Trick to be in this ring with Braun Breaker, it was a nice look, and Trick did well for himself. But we all knew Braun was going to win the match. So we get that. After the match, Braun will lock in the Steiner recliner again on Trick until Carmelo Hayes would run down to ring to make the save. Now, Melo would get a couple hits off on Braun and then go to hit Braun with the springboard clothesline, but Braun would catch Carmelo with a spear, and now both Melo and Trick are laid out on the mat. Braun will grab the NXT Championship and tell Melo that he has something that belongs to him. So, again, we're furthering that story of Braun trying to regain his NXT Championship away from Melo. This time, he isn't doing it for the fans. He's just doing it for himself and in spite of the fans because they chose Melo over him. So that's where we're at here with Braun Breaker and Carmelo Hayes here. Again, they're furthering their story. They're furthering their rivalry here into Battlegrounds. And I just can't wait to see it for Braun versus Melo too. And hopefully they build upon this uh, next week on NXT, but time will tell. So with that, that is your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now moving over to AEW Dynamite couple things to note on this show they would let everyone know that rampage will air on a saturday so since this episode drops today a saturday uh rampage will be coming on tonight also next week on dynamite you will have a trios match of the AEW champion jamie hater teaming up with Britt baker and hikaru shida going against the outcast uh ricky starks will be going against jay white and also chris jericho will be going against roderick strong in a false count anywhere match also the jericho appreciation society and Adam Cole will be barred from the arena during this match here. Now, during the show, two surprises would pop up. Um, Miro, he will pop up on the show, and he will walk through uh, Tony Khan's office, and we will go to commercial break, and Thunder Rosa, she would do the exact same thing, and we don't really get an understanding of why they visited Tony Khan, but Tony Khan will make an announcement later in the night saying that, he has an announcement set up for next week, and more than likely, it'll probably have something to do with a big grand overchange in AEW, the business, because there's been rumblings about a split and Tony Khan having another show. So maybe that'll probably be why Miro and Thunder Rosa did go to Tony Khan's office. But again, we'll have to wait and see next week of what Tony Khan's big announcement is. Now, to start to show off, we have Claudio Castagnoli, the Ring of Honor champion, going against one half of the Ring of Honor tag team champions, Ray Phoenix, in a double Jeopardies match. The winner of this match will face the opposition for their respective championship. So, Claudio would win this match by pinfall by hitting the Ricola bomb on Phoenix to win the match. So, Claudio and a partner of his choosing will be facing the Lucha Brothers for the ROH Tag Team Championships in a time to be determined. Solid match to open up the show. It was one of those matches that you didn't expect to see. Personally, I forgot about it. When you think about all the talent that AEW has, and they have a plethora of talent, you just forget about certain dream matches that could happen and more likely will happen. This one, I forgot about personally. Ray Phoenix, he is a great uh, singles competitor. We all know about Claudio. He's a great singles competitor. And to have them go against each other on this uh, AEW Dynamite here in the first match, it was really good, and it set the pace for the rest of the show. After this, we have the AEW Tag Team Champions, FTR. They will come down to the ring. FTR will call out Mark Briscoe because they feel like they want to give him an apology. Um, but instead of Mark Briscoe coming out, Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, Satnam Singh, and Sanjay Dutt will come down to the ring. 
and they will be out here to see if FTR will accept their challenge for a title shot at AEW's Double or Nothing. Dax will say they would accept their challenge if they admit that they have been using Mark Briscoe all this time. This will seemingly upset both Sanjay Judd and Jay Lethal to the point that we are about to see something go down, but Mark Briscoe will come out and he will make his way down to the ring holding cups and a liquid, which you can consider as alcohol. Uh, Mark would say that he's out here to keep the peace between both of these groups because he has friendships with both Jay Lethal and FTR. And he talked about how he talked to Tony Khan and the match is made official. At Double or Nothing, it will be FTR going against Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett for the AEW Tag Team titles. And Mark Briscoe will be the special guest referee for said match. Now, with that announcement being made, Mark Briscoe would hand everybody a cup and pour some of the liquid into everybody's cup. Sunday Dutt, he would drink, but he would spit his liquid into Dak's face. And you'll see Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, Sanjay, and Sodom start attacking uh, Cash. So as they're attacking Cash, Dax will be in the corner wiping his face. He still couldn't see what's going on. Um, Mark Briscoe would try to get in between the beatdown of uh, Jay Lethal and company on Cash. Jeff would push Mark Briscoe inadvertently into Dax, and Dax would grab Mark and hit him with a pile driver. Again, Dax does not know who he's grabbing at the time, so he just probably thought he was grabbing uh, Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, somebody of the opposition, but he pile drives Mark Briscoe. And when he does this, Cash immediately runs over to Dax and tells him, that was Mark, that was Mark. Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, Sodom, and Sanjay would all just look in surprise, and they would just leave the ring. And you would see the medical staff running over to Mark and try to see if he's okay. Dax trying to apologize to you if Mark's okay. Mark's would tell Dax to get off of me. So again, we're still building up the animosity now especially with the tag team title match being announced and Mark being known as the special guest referee is going to add some intrigue to see whether Mark Briscoe is going to screw FTR or is he going to keep it straight down the middle because Mark Briscoe knows that was an accident and they're going to play it off as that. But again, we're going to have to wait and see as we go into AEW uh, double or nothing. Now, after this, we have the AEW International Championship matchup here of Orange Cassidy, the champion, going against Daniel Garcia. Orange Cassidy would retain his championship by pinfall when Orange Cassidy and Daniel Garcia would trade off pinning maneuvers until Orange Cassidy will lock in a roll-up on Daniel Garcia and secure the win to retain his international championship. This match between Daniel Garcia and Orange Cassidy, it was a good matchup here. Orange Cassidy, he was plagued with... His right hand being bandaged up so he couldn't really try to hit this orange punch on Daniel Garcia. Daniel Garcia, there were times in this match that he basically had the match won. Um, he had Orange Cassidy locked in the sharpshooter, cranked back on it. Orange Cassidy still wouldn't let go and tap out. So you see Daniel Garcia quickly move it over into a cross face. And again, Orange Cassidy still wouldn't tap out. Daniel Garcia pile drives Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy will still kick out. I mean... These two had a solid matchup here. And for Daniel Garcia, again, a guy that I don't think a lot of people put respect on his name, at least in the echelon of AEW wrestlers that's there, because, again, you got so many uh, gifted people. I just don't think people would look at Daniel Garcia as one of those guys. I think people need to start looking at Daniel Garcia as one of those guys that, okay, we could put him in any type of position. He's going to hit it out the park, and that's what he's been doing. He had a match with uh, Brian Danielson, I believe, like, Late last year, solid. Him with Willie Yuta, solid for the Pure Championship, solid. Him 
Now with Orange Cassidy right here, solid. I mean, Daniel Garcia is one of those guys that I can feel that in the next couple of years, he's going to be, if not the main event spot, he's going to get closer to those situations where you could picture him being in the main event. So time will tell, and Orange Cassidy is still the international champion, but you know his time is coming because he's starting to look wear down and uh, injured more and more as he defends his title. Now, after this, we have Christian Cage and Luchasaurus coming down to the ring. Tony Schiavone would interview Christian Cage. Christian would talk about why he is the number one contender for the TNT Championship, saying that his name has given him the opportunities because he's been in the business. He lists off his list of accolades and all that type of stuff. So that's the reason why he is the number one contender for the TNT Championship. Christian would run down the fans, telling them to shut up. This will make the fans chant Edge is better at Christian. As Christian will talk about Warlow in a sense because Warlow has a father, but his father is deceased, and Christian, being Christian, he was about to go down the whole father uh, train the same way that he did Jungle Boy, but he pulled back on that and saying that he isn't going to talk about Warlow's dad because Warlow's dad isn't famous, so he doesn't matter, but Christian would go the other route and talk about Arn Anderson, saying that Arn Anderson is basically Warlow's father figure here, and how Arn Anderson basically abandoned his son, Brock Anderson, who is employed by AEW, to hitch his wagon on to Warlow. Christian will say that Arn Anderson is considered a legend for being Tully Blanchard's partner and for being Ric Flair's tag-along buddy. He will critique Arn Anderson for never winning the World Championship, while he, on the other hand, Christian Cage, has won the World Championships multiple times, and Christian will say that next week he'll say this all to Arn's face and even spit in his face. So we'll have to wait and see what happens next week because Warlow and Arn Anderson was not on this episode of AEW Dynamite. So it's going to be a real uh, intriguing situation whenever we get Christian Cage and Arn Anderson in that exact same ring. Now, after this, we have the no holds barred matchup between Anna Jay and Julia Hart. Julia would win the match by submission when Julia would hit a superplex onto a bunch of chairs, then lock in the rings of Saturn on Anna Jay, making Anna tap out. Solid match between these two ladies here. There was a moment outside the ring when Anna Jay would hit Julia Hart with a gory bomb onto chairs, like a big pile of chairs. And when they made connection to the chairs, Julia's hip would hit the chair and the commentators would make note of that because Julia would just put her hand on her hip and just move slowly. And you could just see as she was continuing on in the match how it truly affected her more and more. So more than likely, Julia Hart's probably going to be out for the next couple of weeks trying to uh, nurse up that hip. But solid match up here. I'm glad this rivalry between Anna Jay and Julia Hart is done. So now Julia can go back to uh, being the manager of the House of Black. And Anna Jay, she can hopefully go off to do something else. But I'm glad that AEW did give these two uh, some time to shine. Now, after this, speaking of the House of Black, we get the trios championship match up here. The open house match. The stipulation for the match is 20 seconds outside of the ring, no rope breaks, DQs are enforced, and dealer's choice. Meaning, whoever is facing House of Black, they could pick another stipulation for the matchup here. So since Best Friends and Bandito are facing House of Black, they will pick two barred uh, witches. And they're implying Julia Hart, because Julia, as I said before, is usually outside managing the House of Black, so Julia Hart will be barred from ringside here. However, that wouldn't make a factor because House of Black would retain their trios championships by pinfall when the House of Black would hit Chuck Taylor with Dante Inferno for the win. 
I like the presentation of this match here, the open uh, house match. In this presentation, you have the spotlight literally being on the ring. Everything else around the ring is literally dimmed down. Like, you could barely see the crowd. It has an ambiance about it that your eyes are supposed to be focused specifically on the ring. No more, none less. And I like that because this gives off a dojo type, like, type vibe that the House of Black wants to give because they're all about discipline. They're all about uh, doing it their way, their style. So I like that presentation for this matchup here. Hopefully, they continue on with that. This wasn't just a one-trick pony with their... Uh, presentation of the house of black open house uh matchup here but knowing house of black knowing malachi black what he has put into his presentation for his group and everything that he touches i'm pretty sure that's going to be the concept and the presentation that we're going to get for the rest of the remaining time that they hold on to the trios championships and they have this open house uh, stipulation for said titles so i like it um, after the match, we would go to the back and see Orange Cassidy laid out on the ground because Orange Cassidy was watching the match from the backstage area. And while Orange Cassidy is laid out, we would see IWGP and New Japan Strong Tag Team Champion Kyle Fletcher pick up the International Championship. And it's been confirmed that Kyle Fletcher is going after Orange Cassidy for the International Championship. Now, we move over to the main event which is a steel cage match between John Moxley going against Kenny Omega, basically gang warfare here, because before the match would begin, as Kenny Omega would make his way down to the ring, uh, he would be attacked by John Moxley at first, Kenny would be able to handle that, but then Wheeler Yuta and Claudio Castagnoli would attack Kenny Omega from behind, this would make the Young Bucks come down, they would take care of both Wheeler and Claudio, and now it's down to a one-on-one matchup between Kenny and John Moxley, Don Callis was around the ring during this matchup here, but Brian Danielson, he was on commentary for the match. And during this matchup here, you would see Kenny uh, get a steel chair wrapped around a barbed wire, and they would use it on each other. Uh, Mox would get busted open from the forehead, uh, and also his back would bleed because of the barbed wire. Mox would make Kenny bleed from the back. Um, Mox would use broken glass, but Mox would fall into the glass because when he tried to lock in a sleeper hold on Kenny Omega and Kenny was going to drop down to his knees, he would instead hit Mox with a backdrop and Mox's body would hit the glass and Mox would unscrew a top turnbuckle and use that hook to go into Kenny Omega's mouth and try to yank at the sides of Kenny Omega's mouth. It was a real like gruesome style matchup, but not too gruesome. Because I've seen way worse on independent stuff. And even AEW as a like whole, they've done worse stuff when they had Nick Gage going against Chris Jericho in their situation uh, two summers ago. But this was, it was still a fine, solid, like, no holds barred type of steel cage matchup here. Even at one point, King Omega would hit John Moxley with a V-trigger and that would send both of them, like, busting out of the cage and hitting the outside, like, floor. And that looked like a landing that completely sucked on both guys. But anyway, getting to the point, Moxley, he would win the match by pinball thanks to Don Callis' help. When Kenny Omega would hit John Moxley with the one-wing angel, Don Callis, he would turn on Kenny Omega by hitting Kenny in the head with a flathead screwdriver that Don took away from Moxley when Moxley was going to use it on Kenny Omega. So when Don does this, everybody's shocked. 
Brian Danielson is shocked. The crowd is shocked. And Moxley would pin Kenny Omega to win the matchup here. Everybody's still in shock. The commentators are asking Brian, did he know anything about this? Brian says, to be honest with you, I knew nothing about this. But it seems to me that Kenny Omega and Don Callis, they're just not going to work together because Don is tired of mediocrity. So we get after the matchup here. Kenny Omega, he's bleeding from his forehead. He's on his knees. He looks at Don. Don looks like he's about to spike Kenny again in the forehead, but he just throws the screwdriver down and he grabs Kenny by the head. And he says something to him about the microphone can't catch it. And you see Don just throw Kenny onto the mat and Don will leave the ring. And that's where we end with AEW Dynamite. So we don't know where we're leading to with this. Are we going to see Don uh, going with the Blackpool Combat Club? Or are we going to see Kenny try to attack Don the same way that Moxley tried to do with Will Regal months ago? This leads to a whole lot of different things, but we still do know one thing. We're still got gang warfare at Blackpool Combat Club going against the Elite, so that's still going down here. And I like the added inclusion of Brian Danielson. He doesn't ever really like attack anybody from the Elite yet. I mean, he did it to Kenny when he came back, but ever since then, he hasn't really attacked nobody else from the Elite. He hasn't put his hands on the Young Bucks. Uh, Hangman technically isn't part of the Elite. We're trying to build this situation for him to get back to the Elite. And as I said before, he attacked Kenny when he came back. But Brian Danielson is usually in the back like he's really pulling the strings of the Blackpool Combat Club. So I would like to see them dive more into that situation as we see Brian just constantly being the guy not really getting his hands dirty while Claudio, Yuta, and Moxley are getting their hands dirty. So well, hopefully they'll dive more into that next week on Dynamite, but we'll see. Now with that, that is your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, moving over to Impact Wrestling, the first match to start it off would be Masha Slamovich going against Killer Kelly. Masha would win the match by pinfall when Kelly would lock in the Killer Clutch. Masha would try to get out of the submission. She would end up kicking the top turnbuckle and turn Kelly onto her back, and Masha would be able to lean basically on Killer Kelly. The referee would make the pin. So that's how Masha Slamovich basically wins this match up here. Um, after the match, Kelly wouldn't let go of the hold until the referee would tap her to let go, but that would be after a couple seconds. And once Kelly does let go, she would just look at Masha on the ground and she would just leave the ring. So Masha and Kelly Kelly, you're going to tell that they're going to continue to do their whole rivalry bit here. Uh, Masha, for some reason, I don't understand what Impact wants to do with Masha Slamovich. I don't know if they want to just hold off for a big moment to win the knockout championship for a later date or they're never planning on giving her the title. It's really weird. I mean, I enjoy the match that they had with uh, Kelly Kelly here. I enjoy that Masha was able to get this time at the beginning of Impact, but it just doesn't match up with what they were doing with her last year. Last year, they made her an unstoppable, uh, unbeatable wrestler, but now it just seems that like this year she's been losing some matches i mean she's been losing like the matches that actually count but like winning the matches that really don't matter as much i say this one with killer kelly it was good and i just don't know what's it going to lead up to for masha in the future of impact personally but i just wonder what do they plan on doing with masha slamovich to be truly honest with you but time will tell killer kelly again she was built coming into impact not too well. I mean, she had the presence and everything, but then she got into a few with uh, Tasha Steeles, and then they just went 
50-50 with Killer Kelly's booking and impact. I don't know what they want to do with her neither. So, again, it's just really weird what the structure is for these two in impact, what they want to do with them. But um, time will tell with what impact is planning on doing with both Killer Kelly and Masha Slamovich. Now, after this, we have Nick Aldis going against Sheldon Jean. And Kenny King was on commentary for this matchup here. Kenny King is out here because Kenny is finding exception to Nick Aldis being back at Impact. And seeing as Nick Aldis just wants to go after the Impact World Championship, Kenny has a problem with this. And he feels that Nick should try to be working himself from the bottom up. So Nick's doing that here as he goes against Sheldon Jean. Nick would win the match by submission by locking in the Kingsland Clover, which is basically the Texas Cloverleaf, on Sheldon Jean and making Sheldon tap out here. But it was announced that under Siege, it would be Kenny King going against Nick Aldis, so more than likely they'll handle their business there. Now, after this, we had a tag team match of the Good Hands, which consists of Jason Hodge and John Schuyler going against Decay, Crazy Steve, and Blacktop Roos. Now, the Good Hands would win the match thanks to help from Brian Myers. When Brian will come down to the ring towards the end of the match, as Black Tarus will be in the ring looking at John Skyler. Now, as this is happening, Brian Myers will be around the ring. Crazy Steve would get on the ring apron. Brian Myers will pull Crazy Steve off the ring apron and hit him with the roster cut, which is a clothesline. Now, as he does this, Black Tarus will look at Brian Myers. He will grab Brian Myers by his head and pull him up onto the ring apron. And Brian Myers will pull Black Tarus's head onto the top rope, and this would disorientate Black Tarus, and this would allow the good hands to hit Black Tarus with their tag finishers, which is a Samoan drop slash spitting neckbreaker combo for the win. Now, later in the night, you would see Moose walk up to Brian Myers and ask him what's he doing, because those two are supposed to be a tag team here. Brian Myers would tell Moose that, I thought you were trying to look after yourself in the World Championship and Moose would say, listen, I could be a world tag team champion and also a world heavyweight champion at the same time. Brian Myers would tell Moose, listen, I can be in a tag team with you and we can become tag team champions. But also I want to look after the future of tomorrow. And this would make uh, John Schuyler and Jason Hodge walk into the frame and you would see those two standing beside Brian Myers. So it seems that the good hands are under the tutelage of Brian Myers here. And I'm not mad at that because Brian, he needs a group now since it seems that uh Matt Cardona isn't in impact right now. I don't know what he's doing. Well at the moment he's on the independence. He's doing his thing as he's been doing since he got released from WWE. But I'm talking about just like I don't know if he's gonna come back to impact or not. That's my main thing. But Brian Myers he's here in impact. He's cool with it. And for him to take the gun hands underneath his uh wing, I have no problem with that because it gives those guys time on television. It also gives Brian Myers more time on television. So it's Good all the way around. Now, after this, we have the Impact World Championship matchup here of Rhino, the challenger, going against the champion, Steve Macklin. Macklin would retain his championship by pinfall when Rhino couldn't hit the gore because he had a bum leg. So Macklin would hit Rhino with the gore. And that's how Macklin would retain his Impact World Championship. Now, after the match, Rhino is trying to regain himself outside of the ring. Macklin would see him and Macklin would attack Rhino. Macklin would bash Rhino's head onto the top of the steps. Then this would allow Macklin to grab a chair and place Rhino's left leg on the step. And Macklin would hit Rhino's leg with said chair. Now, Rhino is writhing in pain and he's just trying to hold his leg. Macklin would place Rhino's leg inside the chair and Macklin would go underneath the ring and grab a shovel. 
and proceed to hit Rhino's leg several times with the shovel until Maglin was satisfied. You will see referees try to come out there and try to stop Maglin. Maglin would just uh, threaten them with the shovel, and that would make the referees bad back. And then he would constantly proceed to still hit Rhino's leg with the uh, shovel. So again, this was Maglin's way of sending a message to PCO. So we would go backstage. Rhino is in the ambulance. And Macklin is out there with Scott Moore. Scott Moore is Rhino's friend, so he wanted to see his friend go off. But Macklin is out there just bombarding uh, Scott Moore. This would make Scott Moore tell Macklin that since he likes doing things his way and he doesn't care about the rules, he would make his match with PCO at Under Siege for the Impact World Championship a no disqualification match. So we have this here. Macklin would tell Scott, listen, I'm going to do more damage to your boy. So you will see Macklin open up the back of the ambulance, but PCO will be there. You will see PCO attack Macklin, and Macklin would just run away. So we're still building Macklin on his PCO as they go into their match at Under Siege, again, for the Impact World Championship. Now, after this, we have Dirty Dango going against Johnny Swinger with Ziggy Dice in his corner. Dango would win the match by pinfall by hitting the Falcon Arrow on Johnny Swinger for the win. Now we go off to our main event. For the Knockouts Tag Team Championships, it is the Knockouts Champion, Deanna Perrazzo and Jordan Grace. The Challengers going against the Champions, the Coven, which is Kayleen King and Taylor Wilde. Now, the Coven would retain their Tag Team Championships by pinfall when they would hit a modified heart attack on Jordan Grace. But instead of hitting Jordan with a clothesline, Kayleen King would hit her with a big boot. And that's how the Coven would retain their uh, championships. Now, after the match, the Coven would attack Jordan Grace. And this would make Trinity come down to the ring and attack the Coven. And the Coven would retreat to the back. You will see Jordan Grace get up, look at Trinity, and those two would shake hands. And Jordan Grace would leave the ring so Trinity could have her moment. And again, this shows the importance of Trinity in Impact Wrestling. And you can just tell that they're going to do more with Trinity. Because again, you have someone that is so beloved by the whole entire wrestling uh, community, the whole entire wrestling world. That's in Impact after we saw her leave WWE due to not good situations. Well, not good circumstances. So Impact is really putting a lot of emphasis on how important Trinity is to the Impact product now since she's here. And I'm glad they're doing that because, again, you don't get too many uh, well-respected, well-loved, all-across-the-board individuals showing up in Impact. Again, people like to show up in either AEW or they go to New Japan. That's another thing, because again, Japan is so big, and Japan is like the mecca of being well-respected in professional wrestling. If you are someone from the North American side, and you go over to like Japan, especially New Japan professional wrestling, you get that stamp of credibility right then and there. So instead of Trinity going over to New Japan with her girl, Mercedes Monet, Trinity's here at Impact, it just puts... Impact in a better position, and I feel that it puts Trinity in a better position for her to win and just set herself apart from her uh, real-life best friend, Mercedes Monet. So, again, I like what uh, Impact is doing with Trinity here. Again, Trinity's just got into Impact, and I hope they really capitalize on her uh, popularity that, again, she carries along as she is who she is. But with that all being said, we'll have to wait and see as the weeks go by. And that is your Impact Wrestling, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. 
Now, moving over to SmackDown, we will start with the SmackDown side of the World Heavyweight Championship Tournament. It will be a triple threat match of Edge going against AJ and Rey Mysterio. AJ would win the match by pinfall when Edge would have AJ Styles in the Educator, which is a sharpshooter but a twist on it. And AJ was near the bottom ropes. This will allow Rey Mysterio to hit Edge with the 619. Now, you will see Rey go up to the top turnbuckle and he jumps off and he would hit Edge's shoulder. And it seems that Edge was supposed to spear Ray in the midair and Wade Barrett would even uh, say something to that effect after the match was done because they would kind of play off of that. And you would see Edge get to his feet. AJ would hit Edge with the phenomenal forearm to cover Edge for the win here. But it was still a great match, even though they had that one mishap here. Uh, I like the three of them in this matchup here. You have three legendary professional wrestlers in the ring with each other that's meeting legitimately for the first time. All three guys in a triple threat match with each other. And it's really weird. This was the match that people were like pumped up whenever they found that this whole tournament was even made. And you saw the SmackDown side. You saw these three in a triple threat. Everybody went, okay, we're going to have a good match here. And it did not disappoint. So AJ will go off to the main event waiting for his challenger. And we will get the answer to who will be facing AJ in the main event with this next match, which is Bobby Lashley going against Sheamus and Austin Theory. Bobby would win the match by pinfall by locking in Theory in the hurt lock. Theory will try to kick out of it. But Sheamus will get in the ring, hit Theory with a bro kick. Bobby would take Sheamus out of the ring, throw him out, and then go over to Theory and pin him for the win here. So in the main event, we would get AJ Styles going against Bobby Lashley in the semifinals for the World Heavyweight Championship Tournament. This was a good, solid uh, matchup here for, between these three gentlemen here. Bobby Lashley did bleed. Uh, he ran his head into the ring post, and you just start seeing blood run down his face. And again, this was another time where the referees did not put gloves on their hands and tried to wipe the blood off of another wrestler's face before the merger with uh, UFC and Endeavor, WWE, usually in this PG era. They would have the referees put gloves on their hands and try to have the wrestlers like get a towel so they can wipe their face with uh, the towel so they can get the blood off their face. But we haven't seen that in these past, what, two shows, latest shows that they have with blood with Bobby bleeding on SmackDown, Brock bleeding at uh, Backlash, and even before then, even down at NXT, JC Jane, she bled last week in her face, and again, nobody gave her anything to wipe her face up, so they might be setting a new ruling on blood when it comes down to WWE, their programming, I'll be keeping my eye on that more, because if they do allow blood to show back up on their show, it's going to be at least something that will at least bring people back to, because that was at least one thing that people would complain about, how WWE was missing blood. So if that's the case, and we're getting it back, kudos. Now, on to our next matchup here. It'll be Barry Corbin going against Cameron Grimes. Cameron Grimes would win the match in quick fashion by hitting the cave-in on Baron Corbin as soon as the bell rang. Baron would run over to uh, Cameron Grimes. Cameron would hit him with the cave-in. One, two, three. Get in, get out. That's it. Corbin is still on his downward spiral. He has not been drafted anywhere, so he's a free agent. He can be able to go anywhere he wants, whether on Raw, SmackDown, or NXT. So it's going to be interesting to see where he goes. Again, I still think that he should be going to NXT with um, Riddick Moss, Matt Cat Moss, however you want to call his name now. Those two should form a team up again because both of these guys are doing absolutely nothing. And for Corbin to be doing nothing, that's a big shame because when he came into NXT in 
2014, he was a lone wolf. He had a cool look, cool character persona. We all knew what he was about. He was a get in, get out type of guy. But now since he's gotten other characters under his belt, it seems that WWE has lost the main focus of putting Barry Corbin as a mean streak uh, type of villain in a get in, get out scenario. It looks like they lost who Barry Corbin was at his core basis. So hopefully they can get that back with Baron Corbin because again, Corbin is a guy that you could put in the main event because people hate him. People will boom. That's something that Corbin can do real easily. So hopefully whoever is in charge of making the stories for WWE, at least in Baron Corbin's position, they could put Baron Corbin wherever he's going to land in the main event spot, at least as a bad guy, or they can start working him back up into a main event spot. Now it comes down to the bloodline. The bloodline will come down to the ring here. Roman will talk about the importance of the bloodline, saying they're the only family in wrestling that actually does matter. They are the one. Saying that they're the only family that has main evented both nights of WrestleMania, and they will be the only family that will ever do that. Then he will talk about how at Backlash, Solo stepped up for the family and how him and Solo always take care of business. And Roman would say that Solo took care of of the riddle problem. Solo would mention Kevin Owens and Sammy, and Roman would tell him not to worry about that. They're not a problem, but there is a problem, and it's your brothers. It's the Usos. So now we get down to brass tags here. Roman will walk over to the Usos, saying, I know you didn't think I wasn't going to talk about you guys losing at Mania, did you? And then Roman will go over to pester them more by saying, you guys had a rematch for the tag team titles, and you dedicated that championship match to me. And you guys lost. I don't even know why you guys dedicated that match to me. I'm not a tag team wrestler. You you don't dedicate a tag team match to the greatest singles champion of all time. So Roman is still upset with the Usos. One, because they didn't get the job done by winning the tag team titles. And two, they dedicated a match to him when he's not a tag team wrestler. They should have dedicated it to somebody else. Another legendary tag team. So you would see Roman go over to them and he would say, I want an apology. And now Jay looks upset. Jay looks like he's going back into the mindset of, okay, let's do it. And he's just standing there all like tensed up while Jimmy, he's has a smile on his face and he's thinking that Roman's playing with him. And Jimmy looks over at Jay and asks him, is he serious? And Roman will say, oh, so you think I'm a joke now? You think I'm here to make you laugh? And then you just see Roman just pie face Jimmy in the face. Now you see Jimmy understands that this is serious and Jimmy isn't playing around. He doesn't like this at all. He takes a second to compose himself, but you can see all the anger boiling up in him. And Jimmy was about to walk up on Roman, but Jay just quickly sidesteps Jimmy, gets in front of him and tells Roman that they apologize. So Jay's going back into the role of, hey, I'll do everything I can do to protect my brother the same way that he did whenever he literally told Roman I quit in their Hell in a Cell match at 2020. And again, this is where we're going back to. It's all going full circle again to Roman completely just messing with the minds of Jay because he knows that Jay will do everything that he can do for Jimmy. So this is exactly where we're going here. So you will see Jimmy just upset. Jay will tell Roman he apologizes. And Jay will tell Roman, listen, if you give us another opportunity we will win back the tag team titles and we will bring those championships back to the bloodline. Roman would tell Jay, you know what? You're right. The tag team titles will be coming back to the bloodline. 
Then Roman would hand the mic off to Paul so Paul could make an announcement. The, the tribal chief has shown up here tonight with a game plan already in hand. The tribal chief this week authorized me to pull every string to flex our bloodline muscle with the board of directors. And here it is. The undisputed tag team titles come home to the bloodline at the night of champions. When Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn will lose the tag team championships to Solo and your tribal chief, Roman Reigns. At Night of Champions, Solo and I do what we always do. We represent, we hold it down for the bloodline. I dedicate that victory in our tag team championship title reigns to the greatest tag team of all time, Afa and Sika, the Wild Samoans. So we have that now. We have Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn defending their tag team titles at Night of Champions against Sozakoa and Roman Reigns. And this comes to a shock of everyone because I don't think they had this on their bingo card of Kevin Owens and Sami going after or let me replace that, Roman and Solo going after the tag team titles. I don't think nobody had there on their card. Um, people on Twitter, I immediately went to Twitter to see how people would react to this, and people were 50-50. Some people were happy about it. Certain people were uh, not so enthusiastic about it because people could see the vision of WWE trying to have Roman Reigns basically be like Ultimo Dragon back in the late 90s. And for people that don't know, there's a famous photo of Ultimo Dragon like holding like a litany of championship belts that he was holding at the time in the late 90s in different promotions and he just decked out in championship belts and now i see them trying to do that with roman reigns here at least for the story purpose of the bloodline having gold solo this will be his first uh taste of championship gold on the main roster and this with roman reigns the tag team titles roman will have the tag team titles again in his possession and the usos will just be on the outs so we're building more into Solo and Roman going against the Usos here. At least that's what it's showing and what it could go up to. But we'll have to wait and see. They would announce that next week, Kevin Owens and Sammy will be having a face-off with Solo Sokoa and Roman Reigns. So we'll have to wait and see next week to see what happens between uh, those two teams. Now, on to the next matchup here. This is for the Women's Tag Team Championships. The champions live more against Raquel Rodriguez going against Damage Controls, Bailey and Dakota Kai. With EO in their corner, Liv and Raquel would retain their tag team championships by pinfall when Bailey was in the ring and she would tell the referee to look after Dakota and check on her. And as the referee did this, EO would get on the ring apron and hold one of the tag team championships, but Raquel would be holding the other end of that championship. Liv would go behind Bailey, shove her into EO, knocking EO off the apron, and you would see Liv roll up Bailey to win and retain their tag team championships here. After the match, you can see in Bailey's face, she wasn't too happy about what just happened. And again, we still have to see the cracks, like, girl bigger in damage control. Because at Backlash, you had Bailey, Costin, EO, in a way, the Raw Women's 
championship. And now you have here, basically, EO costing, in a way, Bailey the women's tag team championships here. So again, damage control is starting to uh, crack at the seams. Probably next week they'll really address that. But again, time will tell. Now, after this, we have Bianca Belair's championship celebration, but not really, because Bianca will be out here. She's the longest reigning women's champion of the modern era, and she gets to pop off Pyro. She gets to have her moment, but she doesn't get to say anything, because as soon as she's in there and the Pyro gets done, and she's literally standing in the ring, Asuka will come down to the ring. Asuka would be holding her hand out and assisting for Bianca to shake it, as in, like, congratulations. Bianca would shake Asuka's hand, and when she does so, Asuka would spit mist into Bianca's face, and you would see Bianca start freaking out, trying to get the blue mist out of her face, and Asuka would be jumping up and down, so you can already tell where this is going. Bianca Mornalite will be facing Asuka at Night of Champions for the Raw Women's Championship, and it's still very weird because Rhea is still holding the SmackDown Women's Championship and Bianca's won the Raw Women's Championship. I don't know how they're going to really classify that. Probably next week on SmackDown, they'll handle that, or probably next week on Raw, they'll handle that, because again, it's still very weird to have the different championships on different shows. Bianca, Raw Women's Champion, and she's drafted over to SmackDown, so that's her show now. While Rhea, she is the SmackDown Women's Champion, and she's drafted over to Raw, and that's, well, not her championship, but that's her show over there now. So again, hopefully they'll figure this stuff out by next week so they can get good clarifications at Night of Champion to know what championship Asuka's really going after. Now, moving away from that, it's time for the main event, the semifinals of the World Heavyweight Championship Tournament on the SmackDown side. AJ Styles going against Bobby Lashley. AJ would win the match by pinfall by using the phenomenal forearm on Bobby to win the match here. Bobby and AJ, they had a solid match up here. Nothing really much to write about. To be honest with you, it was a solid match. I like their uh, triple threat matches more than I like their singles match here. But again, nothing really to complain about either. So again, uh, nothing to like complain or say, oh my God, you need to really watch it. It was a solid match. That's all I, I could tell you here. But in the end, AJ would win. He's now going against Seth Rollins at Night of Champions for the World Heavyweight Championship. So it's going to be another rematch that we uh, haven't seen in a while. I know they have faced each other for the Universal Championship in 2019, I believe, at Money in the Bank. And they probably have other matches after that, but I just know that one like significantly because that's their first match ever in the WWE. So it's going to be nice to see them run that back here, like, what, four years later? And it's going to be for World Heavyweight Championship. So it's going to be nice to see how they uh, kind of tweak their styles since they're now both different characters than what they were back in 2019. So it's going to be real interesting to see that match happen. So with that being said, uh, that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And since there is no AEW Rampage, it's time for me to get you guys out of here. Before I do that, I want to mention one thing. Earlier this week, The Rock was on a podcast called The Pivot. You can see the show on YouTube. It's hosted by three former NFL players, Ryan Clark, uh, Fred Taylor, and Channing Crowder. And the Rock, he talked about multiple different things, but he talked about something that basically is what Tony Khan has basically done for AEW in the wrestling world. See, The Rock, he bought the XFL, and he talked about how the XFL has given people that weren't given the opportunity to go to the NFL a chance to basically still live out their dream. And he said that because he used to be a football player. 
in college and he didn't get that drafted spot to go to the NFL. So he feels that this is his way to uh, give back to a sport that he loves. Wrestling's in his blood, but the sport that he wanted to uh, actually do in his life because he wanted to make money was the NFL. Long story short here, he hearkened to say again, he bought the XFL because he sees it as a way to basically give these guys an opportunity to live out their dream. While I connected that conversation to what Tony Khan has done for AEW, because The Rock broke it down like this. The NFL is literally the grand central, the gold standard in football for over here in America. He said that you got the NFL, then you got the CFL, which is the Canadian Football League. But in Canada, they're going to handle uh, their own Canadian uh, players, not people that really are outsiders that want to go to the CFL. They handle them. But only in football, the NFL is the only thing there. Other than that, you're basically Kaputsky. Now, I revolve that to the way that wrestling is. Before AEW came around, you only had WWE, which really was the gold standard, and technically still is the gold standard because that's known worldwide with the WWE logo. You can put that on anything and people will know exactly what that logo is. So, again, the standard. Now, after the WWE, what was there? What, Impact Wrestling, which, again, I find is a secondary place that you still could go to uh, not rehab your career, but to refreshing your career, refreshing your resume to get people to look at you or for you to rehab what you have done and basically get yourself better. I see Impact as a way for that, for you to get shine and all that type of stuff to uh, sharpen up your tools in a way. That's that, but besides Impact in a way, Nothing else. WWE is the gold standard. Impact, Ring of Honor, that was a place that you could go before it folded. But if it would have folded when it was time that it got folded and AEW wasn't around, Ring of Honor would have been bought by WWE. And all that Ring of Honor uh, footage and library would have went to WWE. Let's just call it spade to spade here. But since Tony Khan did make AEW with the help of the Bucks, Kenny, Cody, you now have another alternative to go and see people that might not have gotten the okay or the thumbs up from WWE to actually make a living and be entertaining and show themselves off. And with people going to AEW, it also allows people to, again, sharpen their tools, get themselves together, because one day the WWE might call them after their contract is up and say, hey, do you want to come over here and see what you can do over here? So again, Tony Khan has allowed that another avenue, another venture for wrestlers to come around. And I like that The Rock has done that for the NFL players that might not get called up or might not get drafted. They can go over to the XFL and you can sharpen your tools, all this type of stuff, and you might just get called to go to the NFL, maybe. So I like that The Rock did that. I just found that a nice, interesting contrast. Well, not contrast, but comparison of what Tony Khan has done for the wrestling business and what The Rock is trying to do for the football business over here in America. So I will suggest you guys go check it out. They talked about other different things. The Rock, uh, with his mental health, what he, what he does to keep himself sane. And since it's this Mental Health Awareness Month, again, please go check out uh, your therapist or go see a therapist or a psychiatrist to uh, figure out what you're dealing with mentally-wise because I want everyone to be safe. I want everyone to uh, take care of themselves. Again, we only have one shot at doing this whole life thing, so I want everyone to please take care of themselves. That's just my way of saying that. But again, go watch The Pivot. If you're not even a fan of football and you just might be a fan of The Rock, trust me, you're going to be interested in what The Rock 
uh, Dwayne Johnson, the man, talks with these football players. Trust me, everything in that is literally entertaining. But again, go listen to The Pivot. Have a watch. I would please implore you to do so. Now, with all that being said, this has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I, and I am him. I love you guys. If you have not checked out my Wood Midweek uh, episode, I have it out now. It's about anime, a show called Death Note. If you're into anime, go and check it out. Also, tomorrow I have a show coming out. Usually the Sunday shows are always about the news topics that happen in the week. So if you listen to the news or you like the news, uh, go and check that out tomorrow for the Sunday episode. So now with all the self-promotion out of the way, hope you guys have a great Saturday. Please be careful. I love every single one of you guys. And you'll hear from me uh, next week. And with that, this has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Presented by My Two Cents Podcast. Hosted by G2. He is I and I am him. I love you all. I thank you. And I'll see you guys later. Don't get run over. Play some punch and